The Athletic. Totally Football Show today. Why Liverpool could win the title. Why Wolves could finish fourth. Why Everton could go down. Why Norwich could stay up. Why Arsenal could score a goal. I'm sorry, what are we smoking? Why lots of other things too. As we examine the wealth of possibilities, this latest round has left us. Stand by for another thrilling Totally Football Show in association with Paddy Power. All right, listen, Monday, January 24th. And what an exciting Totally Football show we have in store for you. Uh, here with us today, we've got Daniel Story. All right, Daniel. Morning, James. Also, Sasha Gurionov. Hello to you, Sasha. Morning, James. And also, Natalie Jedra of ESPN Brazil. Hello. All right. They've all been busy, by the way. Listen, if you're thinking, have they been at matches? They have. Dan has been at Leicester Brighton and uh, Natalie, you've been at St City and Palace Liverpool and Sasha, you also went to Palace Liverpool and you say Liverpool are going to win the league. Apparently so. Uh, it only takes one draw for Man City and then everyone's getting excited again. But I think this is the level, this is where we're at at the moment when, when City are winning all the games. Smallest right. chink in the armour, you're trying to sort of hold on to it. Well, you are, yeah. Is everyone else getting excited about Liverpool winning the league? Natalie? <laughs> I'm getting excited of having a title run, a proper title run. But uh, the league, yeah, I don't know if I would go that far. Okay, all right. Daniel, I think I know what your answer to all of this is. Yeah, City win the league. There you go. The results, anyway. Ooh, Friday night, Norwich moved out of the bottom three with a 3-0 win at fellow strugglers Watford. That's Norwich's second straight victory and probably the second straight opposing manager they've got fired. Saturday, Newcastle also moving up to 18th with a 1-0 win at Leeds. At Goodison, Duncan Ferguson's New Everton reign got underway to a losing start. They got beaten 1-0 by Aston Villa. It was 1-0 for Man United at home to West Ham. A last-minute goal from Marcus Rashford as Man United go top four. Wolves won 2-1 at Brentford. That's the B's fourth straight defeat. While Saints ended Man City's winning run at 12 games with a 1-1 draw at St Mary's that effectively leaves the title race wide open, a sash. Uh, Sunday, Liverpool won at Palace, 3-1. Burnley emerged from hibernation to visit Arsenal for a 0-0 draw. That's now four straight games that the Gunners haven't scored in. It was 1-1 between Leicester and Brighton and Chelsea again beat Spurs, again without conceding, this time 2-0 at the bridge. Of course, we'll be touching on all of those games in the course of the show, but let's begin with Sunday afternoon's clash at the bridge you're listening to the totally football show sponsored by paddy power and part of the athletic podcast network ch onto the left foot no surprise in that and no surprise in that he is the player with a wand of a left foot and he has made that shot unsavable goal of the weekend there perhaps at hakim ziyech hakim the dream as julian would say uh, notching up his third goal of the season, his third in the last seven games as well, and getting Chelsea on the way to a 2-0 win over Spurs. Crikey, what a goal that was. Yeah, starting with Ziyech, he was 
a completely different player than a week ago against City when his decision-making was all wrong, bad finishing, everything was going bad for him. And, and against Spurs, he was everywhere. I remember when he first arrived and, and got a few very good performances and Lampard was saying that he was different. He was just a different player and he does things differently. And I think that that's what he meant uh, with this finish and actually with his overall performance. At first, I, I could see that he was like this unpredictable player but he couldn't sustain this for a very long time and against Spurs that's what he showed he was everywhere he was brilliant mm. why has he suddenly come back to life though well I, th I think against Spurs if, if you look at this particular particular game um, Tuchel found him a position where he had lots of time and lots of space because I think he he basically had three or four shots but he was trying to find his range in the first half and then eventually you know eventually he got it right and I think this is this is where the tactics come in because he had so much space there mount behind him had the space to run into and also at the same time Ziyech could drift and without actually harming the shape uh, of Chelsea so I think if anything Spurs were very very compliant in giving him the time to play well in this particular game I think. Lovely stuff so uh, Thomas Tuchel uh, got that one right uh, Ziyech who should have been at AFCON Really? Morocco busy there in, uh, in the knockout stages against Malawi on Tuesday. Yeah, and, and Ziyech not being part of Morocco's squad at AFCON was, was in the post. It wasn't a complete surprise. He hasn't played any of the World Cup qualifiers before after a bit of a row with Morocco coach who accused him of, of turning up to late for a game and refusing to play as well, both of which Ziyech says is, is nonsense. But yeah, very much Chelsea's game because a fortnight ago when I was at Manchester City... <laughs> He looked really forlorn. He looked a little bit lost. And, you know, he isn't one of these Chelsea young kids. He's 28 now. And we need to see everything Ziyech has got from this point. But goals like that are his forte. And if, if they can get him the space to do that, then they're a far better team. Mm. Thiago Silva with the other goal, Natalie. That's his third of the season. Two of them, intriguingly, have come against Spurs. And he's also now signed a contract extension, which is going to keep him at Stamford Bridge for another year, by which time he'll be... What, 38 years of age? What a remarkable physical specimen he is. I can't stress enough that he's 37 because what he's been doing, okay, you, you can say that defenders these days, they have uh, longer careers, they can play for longer. And I've spoken to, to defenders uh, previous times and, and they always joke around about that, saying, oh no, we're going to play until we're 40. But with Thiago, his physicality is amazing and the way he manages his body and, and his training sessions and how much structure he, he has uh, for himself in his home, how, how, how much respect he has for the game, you know, because he's been playing such a high level and he was such a clever signing for, for Chelsea. Uh, I don't know how Leonardo at PSG can hmm. look at Chelsea matches and think, hey, so it was a good idea not to offer this guy a new contract, you know, because it just doesn't make any sense and it's outstanding. Watching Thiago play at 37, it's just, it's, it's, it's so delightful. But also, also, also with him, when you're behind the goal and you just watch him in front of you, sort of martial defense, it's remarkable how sort of calm, cool and composed he is. I mean, there is the occasional bad game, but like just overall, just this serene presence at the back. Um, and I th yeah, I think it's remarkable uh, that at this age, with this experience, yet he still keeps up. Because I mean, remember all those initial questions about whether he can keep up with the Premiership? Well, yeah. maybe 10 yards in your mind, basically. Yeah, absolutely. When, when was it he made the move across? Was it the start of last season? Yeah. Okay, and at the time we all thought, well, he, I guess they could get a season out of him, but because remember there was a West Brom game 
uh, the 3-0. I think he started that and everyone's like, oh, look at him. Uh, well, look at him now. Yeah. Chelsea's Ledley King, they call him. Uh, magnificent. He also had a major part to play in Harry Kane not getting that goal. Uh, I don't know if you want to delve into... I know we're officially not for questioning refereeing decisions, so we can just move on. It wasn't given. Nothing to if, see If here. we are going to use our... Yep. Our, our one free pass on a refereeing decision this weekend. I don't yeah. think that's it. <laughs> All right. Yeah. yeah. Uh, okay. Uh, anyway, that goal not standing means that Thomas Tuchel has faced Spurs five times as a Chelsea manager and has yet to concede a single goal to them. Sasha? I was just going to mention the weirdly abysmal record that Spurs have against Chelsea over the last mm. 30 years. Basically, if Chelsea are in any sort, sort of bad form or anything, just play Spurs. Because I think... Like I've, I went to see maybe a dozen of these games over the years. Maybe Spurs have won a couple of times. I remember there's a famous run where they come to win for 28 years or something like that. So, I don't know, maybe something happens to Spurs when they face Chelsea, whereby they're just completely collapsed and are totally compliant. Well, But uh, it keeps happening time after time. Antonio Conte says it's because there's a golfing class between his team and the opponents, Natalie. I don't buy that, honestly. Oh. No, because... Uh, I think when you have a team that is run by Conte, you expect more in terms of energy and in terms of attitude. They, Of course, there is a, a gap in quality, in depth squad between Chelsea and Spurs, and we cannot deny that. But there is also this gap between Spurs and Liverpool, and they were very competitive against Liverpool in that amazing 2-2 draw that they got uh, last December. So... I understand what he, where he comes from. And I remember after the first uh, match from the Carabao Cup, he was uh, just telling, oh, this match shows uh, the size of the gap between Spurs and Chelsea. It's going to take time. And I know it's going to take time for, with Spurs. But I think things can be different and they can be very competitive. They can have a different attitude. And they, they it, it shouldn't be so straightforward. Okay, you have a lot of players and you're going to play better. And we're going to play you four times and we're going to lose all of them and we're not even going to score it shouldn't be so straightforward mm. especially when you have a manager uh, as as high quality as uh, as Antonio Conte is alright I mean, this wouldn't be him kind of positioning things for a, a, a last minute push in the transfer window okay. W- it could it? be. Uh, it, it could be. Uh, we don't know exactly how the transfer window is going to go for for Spurs. He makes it Probably clear good, good without making it clear uh, that he wants more more players. And we know that he's not the best um, in PR with <laughs> and and we, in in relationships with with uh, big uh, investors or big big people inside the club like he, like like he showed at Chelsea and in all the clubs he, he previously <laughs> worked at. But, but yeah, uh, I, I don't think it's just down to that. You know, I, I, I don't like the, the, the explanations. I, and I usually, I usually enjoy listening to Conte, but I, I, I don't buy that. The interesting thing, I thought he got his, his, both his selection wrong yesterday and it didn't make substitutes quick enough. He picked Matt Doherty and Ryan Sessignon as the two wing-backs. And we all know both if, if Tottenham are going to be successful, then those wing-backs have to push forward and have to cr- cross and create chances. And we know that that's how you trouble Chelsea as well, or can trouble Chelsea. And neither of them attempted a, a, a cross. Neither of them created a chance. Neither of them had a shot on target. And yet he left Sergio Reguilón and, and Emerson Royale on the bench for the whole game. That seemed very odd to me that he didn't try and 
shift the pattern. It, it, it seemed prime for an Antonio Conte kind of double half-time switch where he, he says, this, is, this completely isn't working, I'm tearing it up, we're changing things. It just seemed a bit submissive, as if the game was already lost at half-time. Mm. Resigned to their fate. They slipped to seventh place, Spurs. Uh, Man United have moved into the top four again with their 1-0 win at West Ham. That was Saturday, 3 o'clock. The goal in this match coming with the last kick of the game, courtesy of Marcus Rashford, who who does this a lot. Producer Charlie pointing out that no player in Premier League history has scored more last-minute winners than Rashford. Crikey. And on a very personal level, it's really nice to see him being cheered by Manchester United fans and people in general. There's been this sort of bizarre take over the last couple of months that he needs to kind of concentrate on his football in inverted commas, which Ole Gunnar Solskjaer actually kind of started. And as if you can't, you know, you can't campaign for social justice and play football at the same time, which is is a nonsense. And he, he clearly is struggling for confidence. He's clear. I think he's struggled in the fact that he's been carrying, he was carrying an injury for basically six months without it receiving any long-term treatment. He played under one manager who, who was kind of all vibes, no system. And then he's now under a manager who's all system, no vibes. And that's quite hard for a young player to deal with. And we also have to remember, he Marcus Rashford's whole career is kind of by accident in that he came into Manchester United's team through... You know, through an injury crisis and stayed there. And it's quite hard to learn on the job at a club like Manchester United, who are not particularly well run at the moment. So, yeah, just absolutely delighted for him on a on a personal level. Yeah, he really needed a goal like this. And, and he needed more than the goal. He needed to show that energy and that pace because there was a lot of talk about uh, his body language on the pitch. And he he's not so young anymore, you know. He, he is very talented. He knows the club very well. So it's, it's really nice to see him stepping up in a moment like this where United really... Uh, he came for the rescue, basically, from a match that honestly had a, a brilliant finish but it wasn't a great match you know you didn't have uh, that many uh, clear-cut chances in the game United had like three shots on target West Ham had one yeah it, it wasn't it wasn't brilliant but the point is we've seen Man United have big wings at the end of matches uh, during this season it's not the first time that it happens and they didn't manage to turn this into a momentum. So this weekend, they saw the, the competition for the top four all lose points. Spurs lost points, West Ham lost points, Arsenal lost points. And, and they also saw how much of a difference it makes to have depth in squad, especially with Spurs. So now that Man United, okay, we have all these uh, teams with matches, with games in hand, but now Man United really need to show that they, they have the players and they have the depth in squad and they have the quality to maintain, to sustain this, this momentum and to, to keep this, this fourth spot because it just makes sense. I think systemically, and you, when you look at United play, you kind of look at it thinking, well, what is this momentum going to come from? Because Natalie and I were at uh, Brentford Man United on Wednesday. And certainly of the two sides, Brentford were much more interesting to watch in terms of what they did tactically, how they approached the first half. If anything, United won that game through a moment of class, and then they they, they become a team that hits their opposition on on the counter, uh, which is exactly how Rashford actually scored against Brentford as well. So uh, they, at the moment, like it is hard to see where this would come from. And also, I mean, I mean listening to Rangnick after games, and you know him having to manage Ronaldo and you know you know substituting Ronaldo, 
feels like maybe there is the focus maybe isn't quite there. Maybe the focus is one manager is trying to install some sort of a system, but not necessarily, maybe it's not necessarily cutting through to everybody. Well, it is only a brief time that he's been there and he is coming midway through the season and picking up a, a club in some disarray. So I mean, in some ways it's and not And to be bad. fair, he's one, picking up points. He is picking he's up picking points. He's picking up points. One defeat in 13, they've gone top four. Uh, Daniel, did you want to add... Well, I was just going to say, I mean, I'm aware that we're creating a, a Declan Rice section in this podcast every Monday at the moment, Are but we? another absolute superstar display from him. Against Leeds, we saw him, you know, but both times his team struggling and players around him struggling, but against Leeds, we saw him kind of trying to carry the ball forward and be progressive and create attacking moves. And against United, it was pure defensive work in protecting that defence and shackling Bruno Fernandes. And the guy can do both and can do both within the space of of a week and can lead his club and it's you know we said about Thiago Silva it's hard to believe he's 37 with the way he plays well exactly the same with Declan Rice you know this kid's only 23 years old only turned 23 last week he is a phenomenal central midfielder and I'll be I mean if Manchester United don't look at a performance like that and think that is exactly what we need then they're more fools than we thought I was shocked the first time I interviewed Declan Rice because like, this can't be this guy can't be 22 or 21 at the time because and he has such a strong presence on the pitch he has everything that you want from a player he's young he's talented he's got personality he uh, when when you talk to him he he sees the match perfectly and uh, he's so clever so yeah I'm, I'm down for that uh, session Declan Rice weekly session <laughs> Declan Rice is just 23 looks about 10 years older curious because his direct predecessor at West Ham had exactly the inverse thing always looked like he was about 45 and was actually much younger well uh, this uh, game continuing David Moyes' remarkable record of never winning a Premier League match as a visiting manager with any side at Man United or at Arsenal or at Chelsea or at Liverpool. That's in almost two decades of management. Crikey. Anyway, Arsenal, I know you're excited, listener, to get onto them. They are two points behind Man United with a game in hand. But this weekend, coming off a goalless draw against the bottom side in the Premier League, Burnley. How bad is Arsenal's goal-scoring drought? Put it this way, Burnley have played a league game since the Gunners last found the net in any competition. Burnley, who featured on January the 2nd, and Arsenal, who haven't scored since the Man City game on New Year's Day. In fact, again, producer Charlie points out, they have more red cards than goals in January. Crikey. Yeah, you, you see you see the plays and you see the runs that Arsenal's making. They're, they're doing things right. And they created a lot of chances against Burnley. It was like, it was 20 shots. They had 20 shots and no go against Burnley. And, and but again... We've spoken about it. They are a young team who are who they're gonna make mistakes. You know, they, they will deliver amazing unexpected performances like against Man City, and they will have 20 shots and no go like against Burnley. So to be fair, Nick Pope was was really good. If you think about the the, the goal scoring uh, aspect of, of the match, that was supposed to be the moment when you have a goal scorer experience stepping up. That was that's that's why they gave Aubameyang that new contract. Uh, Arteta said that they were a bit slow and lagging the first half and they came back much better on the second half. And there's the other side of things because you need that aggressiveness and that edge that a young team will show. So 
that's definitely a point. It's the positive of having a young team. You need this aggressiveness. You need this attitude. And, and this is what they, they, they're down for. But you, you're also going to get matches like that where you just need an experienced goal scorer. Mm, that leggy thing maybe there is some kind of legs to that that argument because they had of course featured on Thursday in the League Cup semi-final uh, whereas uh, Burnley hadn't played in any game for absolutely ages hmm oh a point for battling Burnley who have a tremendous record curiously against London sides their last four matches against teams from the capital this nil-nil at Arsenal a nil-nil against West Ham a 3-3 with Palace and a 1-1 at Stamford Bridge a third of all their points this season uh, coming in those games. Curious. What does it mean? I don't know. Uh, Arsenal two points behind Man United with a game in hand. They have the easiest calendar, perhaps, because they're not in any cups, are they? Yeah, but they also have... They're going to struggle with postponements because I looked at it today. Um, they have three games against the so-called Big Six to be rearranged. Uh, mm. Liverpool, Chelsea and Spurs for different reasons. And they're going to need to fit that somewhere in the calendar. And, you know, if... We see them at the moment playing sort of Thursday, Sunday, Thursday, Sunday, or, you know, twice a week. And they, I think they are beginning to look a little bit jaded. And certainly on Thursday, um, I guess Liverpool, they, their legs went a little bit. Um, and if you look further on into the season, trying to fit all these extra matches, I wonder how it's going to play out for them. Who, who have you got top four then? Who do you think is going to take four, Sash? Um, the way it's looking, at, I think probably United are going to grind it out. Oh, yeah? I think, yeah. D- Daniel? Yeah, same. Uh, not through necessarily any vast rise in class on their part between now and May, I don't think. I just think that they, the squad depth means they'll just, sort of, as, as Sasha says, kind of grind and get it done. Right. What do you think, Natalie? Yeah, no, um, absolutely. Man United. And, and it's because of this uh, squad depth. Because it just gets to the point in the season that it really really does make a difference. It didn't make that much of a difference in December. That's when the, the, the fixtures are, are all congested. But but I think I think Man United definitely. Nobody fancy Wolves? Four points off the top four, but with a game in hand on United, four wins in a row in all competitions, two one winners at the Brentford Community Stadium on Saturday? I mean, I don't fancy them for top four, but Bruno Large is having one of the best managerial debut seasons I can remember in the Premier League. Because to remember where Wolves were at the end of last season, it didn't just feel that Nuno had, had kind of grown a little bit weary or Wolves had grown a little bit weary of him, but that the whole project was kind of slightly just sort of coasting along maybe and, and, and getting a little bit slack. And he has turned them into this efficient powerhouse of a team. Um, mm. you know, since they, since they, they lost at home to Brentford on September the 18th, and, and since then... I think only Liverpool, Man City, Chelsea and Man United have taken more points. Only four teams have taken more points than them anyway. So they are they are legitimately in that race. They, they've got four really big games coming up. They've got Spurs, yeah. Arsenal, Leicester and West Ham, their next four, which Large will see as a chance to show that they do belong in that conversation. Absolutely. This game here, the 2-1 victory at Brentford, a game that lasted two hours and 24 minutes thanks to a series of interruptions, including head injuries, technical issues with the referee's equipment and a drone flying over the Brentford Community Stadium. game also featured a pretty special goal from Ivan Tony. Woof. Martinez was decent as well. Yeah, yeah I mean, lovely team moves, but the, the touch from Tony, a player who presumably is a bit low on confidence after not really lighting things up in the Premier League. 
Well, he bundled one in against um, against United, mm. uh, which Thomas Frank was kind of he, Thomas Frank was talking after the game, saying, you know, he, I could see his performances again improving over the last couple of games. So this one to take that on on the volley was was was, pre- was pretty cool, and also the stage of the game. But also you have to point out, I think that was Brentford's only shot on target, so they're getting ah. a little bit limited in how much they can do. Uh, but again, but they're up against the team. I, I mean, I think I think. It was interesting to see at the end of that match how sort of Brentford have collectively lost their minds um, at the final whistle, being frustrated, I think, by everything, all the delays. Plus, one thing with Bruno Lage and, and Wolves, they're horrible to play against. I mean, it's like, you look, A, a and tactically, the defensive record is superb, but they're all, I don't want to use the word because they get, they're all sh- uh, on on the pitch, and I mean, you try to play against Neves and Moutinho, and it's 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 it's. I think I think it's, they're the types of players that get into your head, <laughs> get into Thomas Frank's head, a few words here and there. So I think they're very, they're great at disrupting. They're also very good themselves, and they're just um, again against against Brentford. They had two shots on target. They had the third goal, and narrowly chucked out as well, uh, chucked off as well. But they're just efficient and they're frightening. And again, against the big side, say Liverpool. Took them all the way down to the wire, and it's um, you. You have to wonder maybe if they can push for that fourth place because they're just such an awkward proposition for anyone who faces them. Yeah, Wolves are, sh- but in a nice way, and that's uh, what uh, Spurs, Arsenal, Leicester, and West Ham will be facing next. Win those games, and we'll have to talk again about this, Natalie. Yeah, and 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 Daniel mentioned the the Wolves project, and I think actually now. Uh, with Bruno Lage, the Wolves project took a different step because you look at them and they seem a more balanced team uh, and they have the second best defensive record in the league and they still produce uh, very high quality goals, like both goals actually, uh, the first two goals against against Brentford, they, they were really nice. So we are seeing this, this Wolves going a step further and yeah, the emotions were running high <laughs> with Thomas Frank, I think that the emotions are always running high, you know, and when, when mm. you watch a match uh, with him on the touchline, it's almost distracting. You, you don't know which way to look. And, and he was sent off after after final whistle. I'm, mm. I'm all for um, managers with with high emotions. So not, not not being sent off, but yeah. <laughs> hmm. Frank by name, Frank by nature. I was going to say, it was quite funny um, watching him again um, after the um, the Brentford United game. I know you guys thought he was angry. I didn't think he was that angry. I think he was just basically, he was kind of bigging himself up. But at the same time, he, as he was walking off to talk to yet another uh, broadcaster, he kind of muttered, oh, I hate football. I think he's just getting a little bit frustrated because Brentford, um, they are good in spells again, but there is certain limitations. You can see that, that hopefully maybe he thinks that Eric might be able to solve. From what I see from Jay Harris reporting, it seems like they might have agreed terms with Ericsson, but they need to check his health, I think, before they take him on. Well, of course. Well, of course. Uh, four defeats in a row now for Brentford, but they are eight points clear of the bottom three. We'll be talking about what's going on down there next. Hi, listeners. It's me again. And it's chilly enough out there. I must admit I'm slightly jealous of the Newcastle players jetting off for a week-long warm-weather training camp in Jeddah, Saudi Arabia. More bodies are expected to be added by the end of the month, and spirits will be high after the win at Elm Road last weekend at the Magpies. They are 11-8 to 8 to be relegated, and now 8-15. to 15. Odds on to survive. The likes of Todd Cantwell, James Tarkowski, Diego Carlos, Aaron Ramsey, Deli Ali, and Jesse Lingard are just some of the names. 
who have all been linked with a move to the northeast this month. Eddie Howe's men lie 18th, a point behind Norwich with a game in hand. They face fellow strugglers Everton next, and after Rafa Benitez left the place in a bit of a mess. The Toffees may be drawn into the dogfight themselves unless they can stop the rot quickly. Currently, Everton are only four points from the dreaded drop zone, and if you think that they may go down, they're an interesting price of 9-2. to two. I'm sure Duncan Ferguson delivered some stinging home troops in the dressing room after Saturday's defeat to Aston Villa. Hashtag big scary Scott. With Norwich having to play Man City, Liverpool and Chelsea in their next seven league games, it's no surprise the Paddy Power trainers reckon they're bunched and have them as short as 8-1 to one on to go down. Watford look deemed to follow suit and are priced at 3-10 to 10 accordingly, whilst Burnley at the minute look more stretched out than the Mudders' washing line, and although Sean Dyche did mastermind a point at Arsenal on Sunday, they're still 4-7 to seven for the drop. You can find out these odds and more at paddypower.com or indeed the Paddy Power app. Prices are accurate at the time of recording. It's over 18s. T's and C's apply. BeGambleAware.org and remember, take time to think. This is the Totally Football Show, part of the Athletic Podcast Network. The Athletic is the only place you can read articles by Daniel Taylor, Amy Lawrence, Phil Hay, James Pierce, Ollie Kay, and the very best football writers around. It's flicked on, and it's in! It's flicked on quite brilliantly by Gwen Gear. Wonderful set piece from Aston Villa, super delivery from Luca Dean, and the perfect header from Gwen Oof, relegation everybody and I'm going to throw Everton's Aston Villa defeat into this mix because they're only four points clear of the drop now, the Toffees anyway, this was uh, Duncan Ferguson's uh, first game back in charge and it saw Villa 1-0 winners goal from Emi Buendia, set up of course, by the man that Rafa Benitez sold Natch, Luca Dean Crikey yeah, I mean, Everton had kind of played the hits last week with Mashiri doing his open letter and Duncan Ferguson buying drinks for fans and presumably yeah, kind of issuing Yeah, that was amazing. This, yeah, this sort of rallying cry in the dressing room before the game. The reality is you can you can try as hard as you want, but if you've, if you've got a painful lack of creativity because your manager sold your most creative full-back and you don't really have any, weirdly have any creative centre midfielders. Andros Townsend and Damara Gray are brilliant, or can be brilliant, but they're not. They're not really creative wingers. They're mm. strange. They're sort of goal-scoring wingers more than creative wingers. And I mean, put it this way: Everton were missing their second-highest assist maker on Saturday, and the problem with that is that that's Michael Keane, who's a central defender. Um, they really, really need some creativity. We we're just talking about Ericsson. I'm quite surprised that I know there's a Thomas Frank connection for him, but I'm quite surprised that Everton have not tried to bring in a creative player because that's going to put them in real trouble. That. Big dunk buying everyone a drink. How did that work exactly? He put money behind the bar at at how many pubs around Goodison? Various, various pubs around the ground. And, you know, every football ground, there are designated home pubs where fans collect to drink. It's not that difficult to do. It's a it's a lovely gesture. It just it does just feel a little bit kind of two plus two equal four stuff. Like we'll get the fans together. And I don't know if it had any. Negative You're suggest effect. that lashed up fans through that Lucas. Well, it's not well, a great. He didn't get them Lucas, did he? No. Well, yeah. Well, yeah. Matty Cash and Luca Dean both hit by the same plastic bottle as they celebrated Wendy's goal, and the well, a fan has been arrested 
uh, based on CCTV footage. Plenty of bottles were thrown actually during those celebrations. Really horrible scenes. Uh, no shots from Everton in the first half. They did get better in the second half, though. Was that because of this uh, Anthony Gordon fellow? Yeah, he's 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 a ray of light at the moment. In that he he he's young and he looks as if you know he's he's homegrown player and he looks as if he's he really does want it. But more importantly than that, he he wants it, but also with some composure. It's not just a, a case of passion and guts and glory, and that's not enough in the Premier League. Smarter teams than you will will be able to deal with that. Gordon has talent as well. He is a creator, but he's kind of having to do everything himself at the moment. Uh, they need to get Dominic Calvert-Lewin back in, you know, kind of match fitness and match form because they can go down if they don't. Mm, he certainly can. A good win for Villa. The mood bitter at Goodison Park after the final whistle with fans staying behind to protest. Uh, lots of bed sheets. Also a plane flying overhead urging Bill Kenwright to do one. Sasha. You know what, I, I had a look and there was a plane flying overhead at St. Mary's on the 15th of August 2015. Hmm. Ken Wright and co, time to go. Oh. So it's been, it's been a theme for, for quite some time and I was wondering actually who the Everton fans are going to turn on after, after Benitez uh, because I think he was, you know, he was a fig leaf, I think, at, 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 at that stage for, uh, for the guys running the club. Um, and I think I have to agree with them that it's Ken Wright uh, because Ken Wright is the constant that's been there for over two decades, um, two, decade, two decades of winning nothing and achieving very little. And it was, I think, there was something very indicative about his little chat with the fans after the game, uh, where A, he's unconvincing, and then B, he says something about, you've had good times. And it was almost like a cry for help in return. No, we haven't. Like, what are you talking about? You might have had good times, but we haven't. Just, I, th- I think it's getting to a stage with Everton. Now. It's just like, somebody do something, because this is utterly, utterly miserable experience trying to support this club. Mm. Any further word on who their long-term choice is going to be? Uh, There's talk this morning that they uh, are speaking to Vitor Pereira, the former Fenerbahce in Porto, is that right, I think? Yeah. Uh, coach. Um, again, they, there was talk of they spoke to him in 2013 and in 2019, so we said mm. it last week, but it does feel like they, they have a list of 10 managerial names and they've sort of forgotten that there's another world out there. But I, I think he would... He would. I mean, everything's a gamble now, but um, the Wayne Rooney stuff. I think that's a that's a huge, huge gamble. Frank Lampard, pretty much the same. Uh, and then last week there was talk of Fabio Cannavaro. It's like mm. I don't know. He's he, he sort of, he sort of reminds me of sort of like the candidate number three on blind date. Fabio Cannavaro in that list, the sort of wacky choice from left field. Who it's just. Such a strange way that that club's operating. But you can at least see a kind of common managerial philosophy behind... Oh, no, hang on. You can't. Uh, <laughs> all right. They are all former players. Well done. There you go. Uh, Toffee's just four points above the bottom three. Only one win in 14 league matches now. Uh, the worrying thing as well is that the teams below them, there are four of them, uh, and by and large, with the exception of Watford picking up some form. Norwich and Newcastle both winning away this weekend and Burnley with a point at least at Arsenal. Let, let's talk a little bit about the, the Norwich and, and Newcastle games. First of all, 3-0 Norwich at Watford. A shout out to Nathan Atkinson who tweeted this summary of the match. Josh Sargent, Pepper's Lowly Hearts Club, brackets Dennis Band. 
I mean, it, nice. it works better in print, but just <laughs> massive hats off to Nathan for that. Uh, crikey. Uh, Sergeant then, two goals here. He's first in the Premier League. What about the first then? Well, what a finish from the first goal. Uh, a feel-good story of the weekend because he's only 21. He looks like such a nice kid and, and him waving to the fans uh, during the interview that were chanting his name and chanting USA. It, it was was a really nice moment. Uh, Norwich is out of the relegation zone for the first time, but they have only one game in hand. So uh, we have to put this into context this, this season because Norwich has 22 matches played. Newcastle has 21. Watford has 20 and Berlin 18. So it is a relief for the Norwich fan to look at the table and see themselves out of the relegation zone. But uh, we don't know the, the real impact that that is going to have uh, in the in the relegation, uh, in the fight against the relegation, mm. actually. All right. Well, it is their biggest win away in the Premier League since September 1993. Good Lord, that was a 5-1 at Everton. I mean, this is probably the end of, of Claudio Ranieri's time in charge and I feel like maybe three or four weeks ago I said he's almost lasted as long as Kike Sanchez Flores and and to be fair he's lasted longer than Kike Sanchez Flores but um, this Who is hasn't? now it. Yeah, it's true, <laughs> true. Um, they've looked wretched under Ranieri. They, have, they basically had, they had two purple patches where they scored I think four goals in sort of 12 or 13 minutes against Everton and scored two in a minute against Manchester United. And other than that, they've, they've been defensively way too open. Uh, you can't take Leicester's title win away from Ranieri and no one would ever try. But mm. quite what Watford thought they were getting, having seen Ranieri at Fulham, is unclear because they look exactly the same as that Fulham team. I think that Fulham team had, had a little bit more quality and, and the the argument in Ranieri's defence from Watford fans has been that this isn't a very good squad. It's a squad that isn't good enough to stay up. But um, they might as well take a gamble and try because they're not going to stay up under Ranieri. And after the match, Ranieri said something that I, I thought it was just, I, I don't know, just a bit... I don't know if it's weird, the word. I believe in the players who want to believe. Who doesn't want to believe can just go home. Hmm. So yeah, there, there's, there's something, there's something going on there. Uh, in terms of spirit, he's not happy with the players. Something is up there. He, he wouldn't just throw that on, on post match. Just if you don't want to believe, just go home. It, it's just, don't know if it's weird the case, but he, he's trying to make a point clearly. Hmm. All right. Well, any kind of point would be good for Watford, who are having some trouble doing that at the moment. Sasha. I think a big factor for Watford as well is the fact that um, Ben Foster's been out injured and then he came back um, and then he picked up COVID, uh, missing this game. And I think with the shambles that they had at the back, someone like Foster would have been quite important to have him there. And uh, so it looks like just everything is going against them at the moment. Mm, all right. Meanwhile, Newcastle, how about their 1-0 win away at Ellen Road? Uh, Daniel, you were saying in your always excellent the score column Monday morning exactly the type of result one nil away that we wondered whether Eddie Howe could specialise in yeah because they they were they were under the cosh for long periods Lee should have have won the game and I think probably would if Patrick Bamford had had been fit um but this is not the Newcastle we or certainly not the the Eddie Howe Newcastle we we think of and and it does matter because they aren't going to stay with with the time they've got left in the transfer window they aren't going to buy enough players to stay up by entertaining i think the notion when the takeover 
happened before the January transfer window was that Newcastle might be able to kind of spend their way to goals and get out of trouble that way. That isn't going to be the case. They're not going to be able to do that. The players they're looking at are, are central defenders and central midfielders. And that's what they need to stay up. And yeah, you know, a huge, huge away win in, in adversity and, and against the run of play. Mm. Newcastle move up to 18th The goal from John Joe Shelby, whose free kick uh, found its way under Elan Melier. Mm, all right. Uh, much more to come on the Premier League weekend, including Man City's winning run coming to an end in front of Natalie Jedra. That's up next. We all enjoy the sport we call the beautiful game. But since I've retired, I've discovered an ugly, even darker side to the sport we love. Join me as Jamie Redknapp investigates. Thanks, Jamie. We'll take it from here. Join Jamie Redknapp for Jamie Investigates, the football mockumentary series, available to watch on Paddy Power's Twitter. This week, Jamie Investigates Half and Half Scarves. Do you know the truth? Paddy Power. 18plusbegambleware.org This episode is supported by FX's Welcome to Wrexham. Celebrity owners Rob McElhenney and Ryan Reynolds' small-town Welsh football club has finally been promoted into League Two after 15 seasons in the National League. Dedicated staff and supporters celebrate the team's return to glory while bracing for the newfound challenges that come with being in a higher league. Will Wrexham AFC stand up to the challenge and rise again into League One? FX is welcome to Wrexham. All new Thursdays on FX. Stream on Hulu. On Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Smart Speaker, and now ad-free on The Athletic, this is The Totally Football Show with James Richardson. Totally Football Show European Edition is out first thing Tuesday with all the usual European excitements, plus De Topper. That's right, PSV Ajax, which was played on Sunday. We'll be finding out what happened there. Ajax, who staggeringly weren't top of the Eredivisie before that game. Are they now? Find out in Tuesday's show, or just look on the internet, of course. The Athletics Women's Football Podcast is out on Tuesday as well uh, with Arsenal Man City and other things too. Totally Football League show is out now and will feature thoughts on Forest beating Derby 2-1 at the City Ground this weekend. Crikey, Daniel, that was a bit of a big result for you. Yes, my favourite stat of the weekend is that the only Derby managers to have won away at Nottingham Forest since 1925 were either Brian Clough or Nigel Clough. That's right. Yes. I mean, a great performance from Forest. They are a completely different team under Steve Cooper. When Chris Hewton was sacked, Forest had one point from seven games. Since then, their form puts them in the top two in the division. and. I suspect come the end of the season they'll regret not making that change in the summer because Cooper has been a, a breath of fresh air. A lot depends, I think, on whether they can keep hold of Brennan Johnson in the next week. He's he scored the second goal and, and, and we know that Burnley are, are interested and the fee is kind of rumoured around the £16 to £18 million pound mark, which is a lot of money for a championship club to turn down. So, But if he stays, then... The sky really is the limit. I, I think most championship clubs are, are now playing for second place. I think Fulham will win the league. But other than that, there's no real reason to be scared, I don't think. There's just so much competition for places in for those playoff spots with with Bournemouth and QPR and Coventry have dropped a bit. But yeah, I think Forest will be there or thereabouts come May. Derby, of course, have been on this remarkable run of form under a Wayne Rooney. But all, all this against the backdrop of the continuing uncertainty about their future where are we now in terms of how many days they've got left to get get backers in? 
Yeah, so by the by the beginning of February, they need to provide the EFL, or the EFL says that they need to provide them with proof, definitive proof that they've got funds for the rest of the season. Uh, as of late last week, uh, a story emerged that that there is now a, a, a not a not yet a preferred bidder, but there is a definitive offer on the table, which takes into account the the claims from Middlesbrough and Wickham, which is one of the key things in all this. Um, that is a hugely positive step for Derby because if that deal can go through, then they will be able to provide they will be able to name a preferred bidder and therefore provide proof of funds from February onwards. Which you know, I'm I'm minded to think that they can't go out of business just because it seems unthinkable but mm. if that bid falls through then there is a serious possibility that that, that that could happen Crikey, two years ago they were one game away from the Premier League and now they're only about what a week away from total calamity Crikey mm. uh, Saints against Man City 1-1 this was Saturday tea time and Natalie you were there do you want to give Saints some some wild appreciation Absolutely. We, we have to give credit to Southampton because uh, they were very resilient in the way they defended. And, and Salisu, he mm. was absolutely brilliant. The fans were chanting his name in the final minutes. Well, the defensive performance as a whole was, was very, very good. And they were counterattacking really well. It was a brave performance. Uh, after the match, I was speaking to, to Lianco, a Brazilian defender who moved to Southampton. Uh, just now um, at the start of the season. And he said that the level of information and detail that Ralph uh, Hasenhuto gives to the players is like second to none. He's really intense and hardworking and you can see this playing out for Southampton. So you you have to give them credit, but well, Sterling missed a big chance in in the first half. Things weren't happening up front. Jack Grealish wasn't happening. Uh, Phil Foden was trying but not quite getting there and Pep was very unhappy on the sideline during the first half and it wasn't because of the goal because there are many times that when City is losing and mm. he's not upset because he can see uh, that they're following a game plan that things are happening so on second half there was a big improvement from from Man City but then it was just very good defending from from Southampton. I'm confused because Pep said that this was outstanding. In fact, probably one of their most outstanding performances of the season. Yeah. By far. <laughs> By far, yes. Well, I, I'm, I'm sure second half he was very pleased with okay. the performance because it really it really improved for for Man City. And, and he was very he was all fired up uh, in in the touchline. Uh, just Did just to give an example, uh, the, the fall from Armstrong on Laporte on the second half that. They were checking for a red card. Pep was so involved and fired up that he was just screaming. It was on the other side of the pitch, to be fair with Pep, but he was just screaming for Laporte, get up, get up. And Laporte was like, no, it was a bad injury. And and he he, he just didn't care. He just wanted to play the game and and, and get the three points. Anyway, uh, yeah, he was, he was pretty upset. Mm, all right. Also fired up after the game was Jack Grealish who apparently was waiting in the tunnel for Oriol Romeo, which is a bold move. I think probably <laughs> yeah. on a list of players I would wait in a tunnel for after a game. Oriol That's Romeo one of those. Yeah. yeah, it's one of those where you need to take a teammate and tell him to stand right in front of you and you can say, hold me back, hold me back. Yeah. Mohamed Salisa, though, uh, most interceptions, the most clearances, most duels won, most touches of any Southampton player. Also to that shot to the face, saving a potential City City goal. Uh, apart from that, what was so special about him? He just looks like a, a, 
in inverted commas, proper defender. Now, he, he's, he struggled to settle a bit when he came to England. I think he only played eight league games last season for Southampton. But with, with Vestergaard leaving, they, they needed a big central defender who is both confident with the ball at his feet, which Sleeso is, but mainly just loves defending. And I think, you know, I, I, I'm struggling to think of many Premier League players that have improved more from, from last season to this. He is... This is the, the the player that Southampton bought. They were buying, and he's another one who, as you know, to go back to the start of the show, as with Hakim Ziyech, they're lucky that he's not at Afcon because he's he's Ghanaian, but he doesn't have a, a Ghana cap. And there was some discussion a couple of years ago where Ghana kind of accused him of of not wanting to play, and his family released a statement saying that that was rubbish. And and then he he came out and said, well, if this is how it's going to be, I'd rather concentrate on my club career. And and you know, to Southampton's massive advantage over the last couple of weeks. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. You're listening to The Totally Football Show in association with Paddy Power. And with Paddy Power, if something doesn't go quite to plan, you can get your money back as a free bet if one leg of your bet builder lets you down. Which is good news for Watford fans as they get ready to appoint their third manager of the season. Pre-match bet builders only get your stake back as a free bet. Minimum four plus legs. Maximum free bet is £10. Other T's and C's apply. And please gamble responsibly. Two points dropped. Nine to go, A Sasha. As Liverpool close in. No wonder Pep spooked. Liverpool with a game in hand. They have, both teams have a decent run of fixtures in February, uh, but City have to face Spurs, um, which again, what Spurs is going to turn up, how are they going to manage this is a question, but perhaps this is the one game that you know, the rest of the league, stroke Liverpool fans will be looking at thinking, hmm, maybe I they can... I uh, wasn't expecting that. I thought you might mention the derby or when they face each other, Liverpool and Man City, at the Etihad yeah, but in I, April, I think, but Spurs... We have to have to build towards that because I think mm. when when Liverpool go to City, uh, they have to be within probably five points for it to make sense. They're going to have to win that game. I think that's absolutely clear. Uh, but for that potential win to mean anything, they have to be within that striking distance of two wins of City. Um, I still think it's 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 definitely a very long shot. Um, but again, I think this is the type of league where depending on the level of your team. Yes, City can win 12, but they cannot win maybe 22. Maybe they can at some point. It's like with West Ham. They can win three or four, but they cannot win six or seven because, you know, laws of averages, other teams have high quality. So, you know, you cannot expect these runs to go on forever. Liverpool have come out of a very tricky patch at the moment. They won a couple of games. They've done quite well. Um, but then now they have a run of fixtures where they can build up ahead of steam. And this is actually what City do so well. City had a run of fixtures where they didn't play any of the big six I think for about nine games or something like that, and they won them all. This is what Chelsea had, and they kind of dropped lots of points there uh, in a similar situation. Now, the City have maybe dropped dropped one game. Liverpool now have to start winning. 
if they don't, well, there's 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 nothing to this because I don't think City will drop more than maybe ten points before the end of the season at best. Uh, Liverpool, I personally think you're mad uh, suggesting they have a chance of winning this title, but weirder things have happened, and it is true that Liverpool have just had what should be their last league game without Salah and Mane. And that was the period in which supposedly everything, you know, the wheels were going to come off. Instead, they won, well, I think they won all three games, didn't they, with, without their, their two African stars? Well, they, they won all three, all three ties. Hmm. Um, in the Premier League, yes. Right. Yeah. Uh, in the Carabao Cup, they, they picked up a draw with... A nil-nil draw and then, and then went through in the, the second leg. Yeah, that was uh, Thursday night, as we mentioned. Uh, the game this weekend was at Crystal Palace and both Sasha and Natalie were there... Liverpool looked hungry, uh, Natalie, but not as hungry as you were. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's virtually impossible because I'm always hungry. Yeah, what, what was because I mean, let's we talk a lot about some London stadia and their catering arrangements, Chelsea in particular. What's the deal at Selhurst Park? No, the problem is now with uh, COVID restrictions, uh, right. for you to move around places in Sellers Park is more complicated. So after I did my live heat, I couldn't get to the to the to the media room, like literally, I couldn't get because of the the logistics that involved. So I, I basically didn't have lunch, which. Yeah, for me it was a tragedy, but I think Patrick Vieira had had bigger issues on 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 his mind. Yeah, superb segue, Natalie. Beautiful. <laughs> I have to say, after the match, uh, I I managed to make myself to the media center. It looked like not many people went there, and there I found See? just mountain of pies and pies, and yeah. I stuffed my face before I cycled home. Is that true, Sasha? Or this is just... absolutely true. I had four pies. Oh, look Damn. at that! <laughs> All right, just... how big a pie are we talking? Well, just your standard pies, but they were hot. Well, I know. There's a lot of different... Are you talking about little kind of hold it in hand, Melton Mowbray port pie? Or, yeah. Um, Yeah, those little pies. But But essentially, single servings, and you you wolfed down four of them and then got on your bike and and cycled back to Shea Gurionov. Remarkable. Anyway, uh, you went home happy. So did Liverpool. Hashtag segue after their 10th league win in a row against Palace. Uh, I read that Alisson was man of the match here, though, after a stirring second half from the hosts. What do you think, Natalie? Well, uh, two moments very different in the match. You have Liverpool completely dominant for 35, 40 minutes, and then everything starts working well for Palace. They're pressing, they're creating good chances. They're making Trent's and and Robertson's life very, very hard in the flanks. So uh, Schlup played a really, really good match. Olise was very good. He was dangerous. Uh, And it's another good performance from Palace that it's not rewarded with points Mm. or or point in this case. But they're a very interesting team to watch. And, And after the match, Klopp mentioned a little that it was an intense week for Liverpool, of course, because they play Thursday. But Fabinho, I spoke with Fabinho, and he was a bit harsher, saying that they they really need to solve this difference between one of the best performances of the season for like 35, 40 minutes, and Mm. then this big drop. So it was like, this is a problem. This cannot happen. Because the fact is, Alisson was outstanding again. But this is interesting, Natalie, that that you um, sort of, that Fabinho mentioned this, because Fabinho was outstanding against Arsenal. Fabinho was outstanding for 35 minutes against um, against Crystal Palace. Um, but then Klopp mentioned to me that, like, I asked him, like, well, what what happened? Like, why did why why did you just drop off? And he said, like, he said he wasn't really quite sure. And they did try to tweak it a little bit in the second half. But I thought, in a way, maybe 
midfield fell slightly short in the second half, uh, but it was a very leggy performance for Liverpool in the second half. And also Vieira um, mentioned that, uh, yeah, physically they felt that they could get on top of them. But I think it's also, it's, it's a very strange situation because I think for the first 38 minutes and 44 seconds, it's probably Liverpool's most controlled, dominant performance of the season. Mm. It was astonishing. I was looking at it and I was thinking, well, the only way they can they, they can do this is basically if they perhaps pass the Palace, which is exactly what happened. Because, But the transformation was remarkable, I thought, because that one misplaced pass from Matip to Olise, and suddenly from being completely trampled on and squashed, Palace find a way into the game and it's almost like there is a little bit of confidence and they chase those lost calls. They, they at least say anticipates where the, those those passes might, might end up. Also, I thought um, at halftime, Vieira made a good change because they went to, I think, to a 4-4-2 and Mateta mentioned to me after the game that he felt basically a little bit lonely in the first half and second half, Eduardo was closer to him so there was, like they were together attacking. Olise went wide all over Robertson all over Robertson. And I thought that was a very good way of them sort of isolating that space. And Olise, I mean, it's the first time I've seen him live. Oh my God, he's so good. He's very skillful and very productive as well. Like sort of understands what's happening in front of him. Absolutely superb. And yeah, Liverpool kind of shrunk back a little bit. And in the end, it was a bit of a hang on performance. Alisson um, was quite, it was quite nice after the game because as we were walking off, I think Natalie were there as well. A lot of the people in the crowd asking for selfies with Alisson, they certainly won't be asking Jota uh, for any selfies after this particular game, but I'm sure we'll get onto it. But yeah, but but I think overall for Liverpool, they could not have gone through the spell of games any better, to be honest. And I mm. think you could see the relief, you could see the delight um, from Klopp and from all the players um, afterwards, no matter how critical they might have been. Because again, Klopp says, you know, yeah, this is this is this period gets thrown at me every time. But also at the same time, I think in this difficult tricky patch with your two leaders gone, players have stepped up, and I think particularly Diogo Jota. Well, you mentioned Crystal Palace's gathering momentum roared on by the crowd at Selhurst Park, and it really did look like they might be able to uh, snatch an equaliser as, as the game went on until, Daniel, that controversial penalty decision. You're, you're our kind of in-house <laughs> scourge of the referee, so let's unload here on, on this particular decision. Or well, not. Yeah, I, I, I'm the one that tries to... Well, not necessarily defend them, but just try and put this crisis into some wider context. But, right. I mean, there is also a, a narrower context that this was a rotten, rotten decision. Um, David Priest says it wasn't. David Priest mm. says, I don't understand why everyone can't see that Jota was running into uh, running into Gaeta because he'd anticipated the ball being on the other side of him. So he, that he'd switch direction to basically follow the course of the ball. I, yeah. I, I didn't. I didn't see. I saw this game on a rerun in the evening, and I'd obviously seen that because at Leicester, and I'd obviously seen the reaction uh, on social media. And true to form, it wasn't quite as mad and outrageous as I had assumed it would be from seeing that reaction. I do think it was a, a poor decision. I think it's just another result of if you slow everything down so much, mm. it begins to create a reality that wasn't there in full speed and the problem with that is that it it makes things look weird and and, and VAR I'm not sure that this one was about uh, was about the pace though there's one angle in particular which clearly shows Jota touch the ball and then change direction and run straight into Gaeta which whatever his intention for me means that this shouldn't be a penalty and Having all those angles uh, available, this should be exactly the scenario which VAR should be able to to get it right. But you know what? Yeah, life's too short. 
my problem with it is why is VAR interfering? Because for me, it wasn't a clear and obvious mistake at, at the first place. Mm. Agreed. Agreed. And yeah, I mean, the reality is, is that that, that, that promise of VAR only removing the howlers, mm. as, as we were told, is, is a nonsense. Because if you tell someone you've got a system that is going to be objective, then people will demand it is used to fix every error. And it isn't objective because it's run by people and people right. aren't always objective. Daniel, um, <clears throat> one of the issues about the kind of gathering refereeing storm is a lack of top flight referees, no? A lack of yeah. qualified and experienced referees. How many referees mm. are tied up by VAR every weekend? Uh, they are still Premier League officials, yeah. so it's the same. But how pool many of referees. referees are taken out of the available pool for matches by the fact they have to go to Stockley Park and mess up and delay games using VAR? I think their argument would be none because because they are from that same pool. That if you're not doing one, you're doing another. Now you could argue that it would be better having them refereeing in the championship if they're not you know if they're not refereeing a premier league game but they would argue none um th- okay. that that isn't that's a very thin end of the wedge i think in terms of our, our lack of referees our, our, the bigger issue is as i say people seem to think there's this magic cupboard of of you know this narnia cupboard where referees are being kept waiting to come out who are all high class like if you think that go and watch efl football it isn't that way they're not just there waiting and it's only going to get worse and people are only going to get more angry. Can I just mention one last thing on the Jota penalty? I think what makes it, of course, look look a lot less like a penalty is Jota's movement. But I think the way Goethe is coming out, I think he's going to take him out anyway. So it's almost like it's almost that movement isn't necessary unless he's anticipating what David Priest is talking about. But I think there is an error for Goethe here as well because he just he isn't getting the ball. Okay, fair enough, Sasha. Uh, also this weekend. Brighton at Leicester. We've left it a little bit late for this one, but they'd want it that way, wouldn't they, Brighton? That's how they roll. Yet another late goal. Yet another strike in the last 10 minutes of a match. This time it was Danny Welbs after 82 minutes. Patson Dacker had opened the scoring for uh, the home side. Daniel, you were actually there at the King Power for this match. Yes, I was. All right. Um, yeah, Brendan Rodgers had a, a slightly tricky weekend in the in the the. the content from his pre-match press conference that was embargoed until Sunday morning. He, he was talking about Leicester's ambition and expectations and the insinuation, whether he meant it or not, was that you know, seasons like last season might be our peak. It might never get that good again. And that hasn't been interpreted particularly favourably by Leicester supporters who are concerned that Rodgers is maybe doing it as a, as a kind of means of self-preservation after, after the events of Wednesday night. And the one thing in the in the context of Wednesday night, the one thing Leicester needed to avoid if they went 1-0 up was trying to defend and sit out a lead and dropping deeper and deeper towards their own goal. And that's exactly what they did. There was, was three minutes just as we went into stoppage time on, on Sunday. Obviously, it was one all at that point and Brighton were attacking. And the away end just started chanting, we're going to score in a minute. And all the home and you could kind of, they were like, yeah, you probably are because we're just sat so deep towards our own goal. Poor Kagalas Yuncu is just hashing clearances out of the box and hoping they go somewhere. And Leicester can't do that. They're not good enough to do that. Uh, they're, they're so much better when they try and play on the front foot. You had poor James Madison playing 25 yards from his own goal for the last 20 minutes. And yeah, they need to sort that out. It hasn't, it hasn't been a huge theme across their season, but given what happened on Wednesday and given what Rodgers had said before the game, it was the one thing they didn't want to happen. All right. Credit to Brighton, though. And uh, Graham Potter's assistant's assistant, Bjorn Hamburg, (laughs) 
who I don't, I don't know when he at what stage did he hear that he had to basically front up and be a manager for a day that must have been absolutely nerve-wracking for him yeah it was um we only i only found out that that potter and, and billy reed weren't going to be there when i got to the ground um so it must have been a fairly late decision uh and brighton i mean brighton weren't very good they they couldn't pass the ball in the first half but to make the same point again they understood with half an hour to go that they were only one nil down and they you know they they sent on Tarek Lamptey who was who was brilliant when he came on they sent on Danny Welbeck he was brilliant when he came on Welbeck scores the goal and Leandro Trossard had a chance later on that Schmeichel saved that really should have gone in and then you know less fans booed at full time anyway but they would have been mutiny if they'd have conceded that I think Crikey Brighton up in ninth place four points ahead of Leicester who have their goal difference to thank for the fact that they are still in the top half. A long way off top four races and that kind of thing. There you go. Uh, Daniel, your next game is going to be a little bit further afield in Cameroon, am I right? Yes, I fly out on down to Heathrow on Wednesday and fly out first thing Thursday morning to, to Douala. Um, so, yes, I think my first quarter... So I'm hopefully going to go to two or three quarterfinals and then the set two semis in the final. Uh, and come back on, depending on whether we're allowed to fly out of Morocco at that point, either on the 7th or the 10th. All right, let me just check the schedule. What have you got in mind for the, the quarterfinals? Yeah, so the, 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 the best quarterfinal to go to is, is, is going to be the, the Cameroon quarterfinal. Cameroon playing uh, Comoros uh, today, who will be playing, we hear, with an outfield player in goal because of mm. COVID cases. So you're confident squad. of Cameroon going through in that one? So I'm confident of Cameroon going through at odds of 1 to 100 or whatever they've been reduced to. Uh, yes, and then after Nigeria's kind of limp exit yesterday, I'm probably going to concentrate on the bottom half of the draw, which means either Ivory Coast and Egypt against probably Morocco in the, in a quarterfinal in, in Yaoundé, which should be great. Oof, yeah. Nigeria, who went out on Sunday to Tunisia and... Uh, mm. Tunisia are now going to be facing in the quarterfinals Burkina Faso, who knocked yeah. out Gabon on penalties. Great celebrations by the Burkina Faso goalkeeper at the decisive spot kick. Hervé Coffey, who executed five backflips. Very AFCON, seeing a goalkeeper doing backflips and the kind of all the fans running around the athletics to track to their, to their supporters. It's super. But Burkina Faso have kind of been the recent great overachievers in AFCON they they reached the final in 2013 and the semis in 2017 which you know it's not a it's it's a quite a big country by population but not necessarily in terms of football heritage so mm. yes this afternoon probably by the time you hear this Guinea will have played Gambia but this evening you might be in time for that Cameroon Comoros game Comoros who've been possibly the story of uh, this AFCON tournament coming up for the rest of the week anything in particular you would flag up as as being uh, matches to look out for. You mentioned Ivory Coast against Egypt on Wednesday. What about Senegal against Cape Verde on Tuesday? Yeah, I feel that one might be slightly one-sided. Senegal have been the the kind of stunk out the tournament at the moment. They've I think they've scored one goal in the group stage mm. and, and topped the group. Uh, so they need to fire, but they will be they will be heavy favourites to beat Cape Verde. And yeah, the Ivory Coast Egypt game on on Wednesday is going to be brilliant. And then. Gambia is is the really interesting story because they think they can beat Guinea today and that will probably set them up against a for a, for a quarter final against the host Cameroon who are now into basically joint favourites for the competition after Nigeria went out. So this is the best part of Afcon when it really starts getting going and it's kind of made big major nation major nation and Ivory Coast Egypt is an absolute bonus for a last sixteen game. Brilliant. All right. Well, listen. Have a great trip, Daniel. We'll we'll hopefully be speaking to you. 
uh, while you're out there, getting your thoughts on on things. Uh, Thursday, we'll get another in-depth report on uh, the latest uh, events in Cameroon from Meher Mazahi, who's who's out there covering things for The Athletic. Uh, But that uh, pretty much wraps it up for today's show. Sasha? I was going to mention uh, a winner for, uh, for this weekend. Um, Steven Gerrard went to Goodison Park and came away with a victory. And I quite enjoyed those three moments. He was coming on to the pitch at the start of the game with Gary McAllister, giggling about something, maybe McAllister's free kick in 2001. At <laughs> halftime, just after, obviously, Villa went ahead, he was walking off, really pointedly looking at Park End, uh, who presumably giving him pelters and just sort of smirking to himself. And then after the final whistle, he was walking off, looking at uh, Park End. And this time he stung his, his tongue out and shouted something. So I think he had a lovely time. Brilliant. Just quickly, James, while, we, while we're recording there, uh, having said all that about Comoros having to play an outfield player in goal, it sounds like their goalkeeper, Ali Ahamada, has tested negative on Monday morning. So wow. he will play. They have 13 players, including him, available for selection. All right. Well, that game is at seven o'clock UK time. If you hear this in before that kicks off, or even while it's still underway, could well be worth uh, tuning in for. Very nice, uh, Natalie. Anything you want to add before we wrap it up, or is that quite enough? No. Uh, well, I'll be travelling, but only in ten days. I'm going to the Club World Cup, so oh. I might oh, come wow. back with news from Chelsea. Yeah. Okay. Brilliant. Uh, excellent stuff uh, thank you very much for being with us today on Totally you as well listener and producer Charlie uh, we're back with a variety of podcasts throughout the week and then Totally on Thursday so do join us for that for now from all of us here it's goodbye you've been listening to the Totally Football Show part of the Athletic Podcast Network listen ad free on the Athletic app and discover bonus content by following the Athletic UK Audio Plus on Apple Podcasts Find out the very latest subscription offers at theathletic.com slash totally. The Totally Football Show is an athletic media company production and sponsored by Paddy Power. The Athletic.